This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the Legislature Today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. We've passed the halfway point now, but we only expect the pace to pick up from here on out. The question on the minds of many Capitol watchers is, will we see any sort of meaningful tax reform past this session? The House Finance Committee chairman says he's now had time to digest this week's sweeping Senate tax reduction plan. He talked with Randy Yowie. Right now, House Finance Chair Vernon Chris, a Republican from Wood County, says he supports the proposed phased-in 50% personal income tax reduction. But he says contrary to popular opinion, tax reform negotiations between the House, Senate, and Executive Branch are underway. There has been an open communication between the, the leadership here in the House and a couple of the leaders in the Senate to be able to, to talk about what they want, and again, once we get some definitions and dig down into trying to figure out what they have proposed, then we obviously counter to, as we all know, it's a compromise situation in this business and that's what we'll have to do. Senate Bill 424 proposes a 15% decrease in personal income tax, a vehicle tax rebate, elimination of a marriage penalty when filing West Virginia taxes, a 50% rebate for small businesses on equipment and inventory property tax, and a homestead property tax rebate for some service-disabled military veterans. Chris says the Senate goal is trying to return $600 million back to the public. He says the Senate tax plan is now under House study with some specific definitions needed. To come up with a definition with some of the ways they're wanting to do some of the taxing, i.e. the small business definition, uh, making sure that on the veterans' uh, tax homes that on property taxes that we're talking about their homes and not commercial property or industrial property that a veteran may own. So those types of things we still have to work out. Chris expects those definitions to be answered by early next week. We've got time, we've got the opportunity because both now the House has a Senate bill and the Senate has a House bill to be able to work through this. With less than 30 days left in this session, tax reform is back on the legislative front burner. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Bill proposals on using tax dollars as venture capital and toughening distracted driving laws took center stage at the House today. Randy Yowie has that wrap up. For the second day in a row, legislators debated House Bill 2882 for hours. The measure would approve $105 million as part of a $290 million state investment in developing the Form Energy Storage Battery Plant on the old Weirton Steel Mill site. 
Those against the bill question the state subsidizing a startup company and using surplus funds that they say could be better used elsewhere. Those supporting the measure say the state has investment safeguards against form energy not meeting goals and the expected 750 good-paying jobs are needed in the northern panhandle. Delegate Larry Rowe, Democrat from Kanawha County, cited a WVU economic impact study of the project listing numerous economic benefits. What you're voting against is a total output by this factory in 2029, which is about six years from now, when it's up and going and rolling, of $2.1 of $2 billion. And you say, well, how many jobs, Larry, do we, are, are we going to get out of that? 750 jobs in the plant. Want to guess how many we get outside the plant? All those people live up and down the northern panhandle. 3,300 jobs for a total of 4,100 jobs that a yes vote will give you and a no vote will take away from you. The bill passed the House on third reading 69 to 25 and was declared effective from passage and now goes to the Senate for consideration. As much concern but much less controversy came with discussing House Bill 2218, the Distracted Driving Act. The measure would raise the monetary penalties for improperly using electronic devices while driving and add penalties, including negligent homicide, for distracted driving causing harm or death. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Steve Westfall, a Republican from Jackson County, noted the life and death impact that the passage of this measure will make. From the National Highway Safety Association, in 2020, 3,142 deaths were contributed to distracted driving. 424,000 injuries were from distracted driving. One in five of the deaths were people not in the vehicle, people outside the vehicle, walking, bicycles. The Distracted Driving Act passed 88 to 6 and also now goes to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate Judiciary Committee had an interesting afternoon Thursday. About a dozen community members were invited by senators to discuss issues around the scheduling of three substances in a meeting that stretched for hours before a confusing ending. Chris Schultz has more. The committee spent close to three hours Thursday afternoon discussing a committee substitute for Senate Bill 546, which would update the state's list of controlled substances. The bill would add dozens of substances to the state code, but the committee's discussion focused on three substances, the cannabinoids Delta-8 and Delta-10, as well as the derivative of a Southeast Asian plant with opioid-like properties known as Kratom. Senator Mike Stewart, a Republican from Kanawha County, is the bill's lead sponsor. Throughout discussion, he compared the current situation of Delta-8, Delta-10, and Kratom in West Virginia to the start of the opioid epidemic. We're seeing similarities today to what we saw at the beginning of the opiate crisis. And if we could go back in time and make a change to what happened to this countryside in West Virginia, I think we would have made those changes. Has written, the bill would put the three substances in Schedule 1, along with opiates, methamphetamine, and psychedelics such as LSD. Stewart's argument, supported by several guests including a police lieutenant, a psychiatrist specializing in addiction, and the Poison Control Center, centered around not only the danger of the substances, but specifically their ease of availability. The drug normalization of America knows no partisanship or socioeconomic limitation. This is not going to be an easy vote because it's become so widely dispensed throughout West Virginia. 
Other senators asked why the substances under discussion didn't merit regulation instead of a full ban. Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County, asked as much of Amy Minor, the Director of Regulatory and Environmental Affairs with the West Virginia Department of Agriculture. Her office already regulates the legitimate production and sale of industrial hemp products in the state, including Delta-8 and Delta-10. Some Delta-8 and Delta-10 sold in the state is illicit, and there is currently no regulation of kratom in West Virginia. You definitely support, you know, an age restriction, just same as we do alcohol, same as we do tobacco, same as we do medical cannabis. Yeah, I don't know why we don't have it for this. That's, yes, uh, yes. I would rather see us, Mr. Chairman, move in a direction of, of regulation rather than, than w the direction we're moving here, but I'm just one opinion. Caputo's point was supported by several guests, including an industrial hemp farmer and a woman who uses kratom to mitigate symptoms of Lyme disease. Three hours into the meeting, there were still several witnesses who had not been heard, and the chairman, Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, indicated a desire to reconvene Friday and continue to hear testimony. However, the committee was thrown into procedural confusion after Senator Laura Chapman, a Republican from Ohio County, moved to vote on the bill, ending public testimony and committee discussion. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I, I have no no more to say except for we heard all this testimony. I think that we're all tired, but we all know how we're going to vote on this, and we should just agree to the language. After several other procedural motions, including a motion to adjourn the meeting in lieu of a vote, Trump was required to consult with the Senate parliamentarian, who informed him that the motion to vote would need to be carried through. The committee agreed on the language of the committee substitute for Senate Bill 546 and moved to report the same to the Senate. However, no bill was reported to the Senate from the Judiciary Committee Friday morning. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. As has become their custom, the Senate gaveled in a little early Friday morning and passed 11 bills. Several of those bills related to issues of justice, specifically the safety of law enforcement and other public safety officers. Senate Bill 490, titled the Patrol Officer Cassie Marie Johnson Memorial Act, would create a felony offense of knowingly and willfully obstructing an officer engaged in their official duties and causing that death. Officer Johnson was killed in the process of a routine parking enforcement. If you create an obstruction, if you obstruct the police or emergency personnel and it goes sideways and causes a death, we're not going to require the state to prove the elements, traditional elements of murder, which include premeditation, malice. The word going forth now, once this becomes law in West Virginia, is if you do it, we're not going to hear you in court say, I didn't mean for anybody to die. Doesn't matter. The consequences are yours, and you will be treated under the law as if you planned and intended that death and go to prison for 15 years to life. It sends a strong and important message. The bill isn't limited to law enforcement officers and includes firefighters and emergency medical service personnel. The Senate created another felony with Senate Bill 532 titled the Sex Offender Registration Act. Under current law, solicitation of any person is a misdemeanor, but the bill makes solicitation of a minor a felony. 
Our reporters are covering a number of issues each day during the legislative session, but it's not always possible for us to get to everything. That's why we like to bring in reporters from other news organizations on Fridays to talk about what they see as some of the big issues of the week. Today, Chris Schulz and West Virginia Public Broadcasting's energy and environmental reporter Curtis Tate are joined by Leah Willingham from the Associated Press. Thank you, Bob. Leah Willingham of the Associated Press and Curtis Tate, our own uh, energy reporter, join me now on the legislature today. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. I think the thing that jumps out at most people this week is the Senate, we finally have a, a tax plan. There's finally a potential to hear a, a discussion from all three parties involved uh, on this issue. Uh, Leah, can you give us a, a 10,000 feet up view of this tax plan? Um, yes, so the, the Senate um, majority leaders proposed their counterproposal to Jim Justice's uh, tax plan, which passed the House last month. Um, Jim Justice wants to cut the personal income tax in West Virginia by 50% over three years, and um, the Senate leaders' plan um, would cut the personal income tax by 15% the first year, and it also includes rebates for um, small businesses, for vehicle tax, um, for taxes on the property for disabled veterans. Um, and they say that this is a more measured plan, a safer plan, um, because they have included in there a, a trigger, basically, so that as the economy continues to grow, like sales tax revenues continue to increase, if they do, it could be cut further, but you know, you're not doing the cut from zero to, you know, cutting it by half, like Justice is proposing over three years, um, not knowing what future revenues are going to look like. Yeah, and, and future revenues are a big part of this discussion overall, not just with the Senate plan, but also with the governor's plan, uh, a lot of it hinging on the severance uh, tax. Curtis, you're our uh, energy reporter. I'm sure that you're very familiar with the uh, uh, severance tax. Um, what is it about this plan that uh, jumps out at you? Well, it's important to understand that uh, that we're we're actually just having this discussion right now because uh, the severance taxes that are collected on coal and natural gas have been so strong. The demand for those fossil fuels has been very strong. The prices for those fossil fuels has been very high. Uh, and and you know you're talking about something like um, I, I don't know about half of the. Uh, the entire surplus comes from these severance taxes. But, but if I can, let me tell you about something else that's, that's happening uh, in the Senate. Uh, yesterday, the Energy Committee passed Senate Bill 168. Well, what does that do? What it does is it exempts coal that is mined in West Virginia and burned at West Virginia power plants from the severance tax. And there's a fiscal note attached to that. That's $22 million a year in tax revenue that the state won't be getting if this goes through. You know, you multiply that by four or five years, you know, that's more than a hundred million dollars and I mean it starts to, to add up to real money as they say. So, you know, th they're trying to do these, you know, this, this big tax cut 
but at the same time they're doing things like this and and the, the an important point to remember about severance taxes is that they are they're cyclical the good times won't necessarily last the demand for coal and natural gas may fall the prices may may decrease so this is a temporary thing um, and a lot of uh, critics of, of uh, the tax cut plans have pointed this out so Curtis um, uh, I, I am curious don't a lot of severance taxes go directly to our counties? Th this is true. Uh, the the bill that I'm talking about, SB 168, uh, doesn't seem to touch those. They will the the, the counties and, and municipalities will still get their share of severance taxes, which is very important to them. We we just uh, yesterday had on uh, Kent Carper, who is the uh, uh, the president of the Kanawha County Commission, and you know as a county commissioner, he knows how important those severance tax revenues are to support uh, local services. Oh, and, and some of the um, the rebates included in the Senate plan, um, they involve uh, property taxes, and there was some concern about, is this going to impact our county, cities, schools that rely on property taxes? But what they're saying is that uh, people are going to pay the taxes and they will get a rebate in the form of a personal income tax credit, um, and so that it will not, the Senate plan will not impact um, those local governments and schools, um, which was a concern. But even still, I mean, we're talking about a not insignificant portion of the state's revenue. I, what is it, $600 million yeah. um, right out of the gate, uh, you know, this July, I think, so next tax cycle. Um, and then you're adding, uh, Curtis, you're telling us that if this bill passes, you're adding another $25 million, again, right next year. So that's, you know, that's uh, quite a bit of money. And, you know, as you were saying, the justification for these cuts um, are you know, the, the high, a lot of the money that we're taking in from severance taxes right now, which is a large portion, um, which has led to a budget surplus. We ended the last fiscal year um, in July at 1.3 billion surplus, I believe. We're about 1 billion now. And so, you know, state leaders are saying it's time to return that money to tax payers. But there's that concern that, you know, severance taxes can be volatile and we maybe we should wait to see, wait a little bit and see um, before we make such you know, a drastic decision. Well, we're certainly going to have to wait and see how this all uh, ends up ironing out with the governor and the House obviously all in play to make the ultimate decision on this. Um, speaking of the House, uh, we had a very interesting couple of days here where we saw a couple of delegates really stretch out a debate uh, like we haven't really seen this year on um, the development of form energy. Uh, Leah, I know that you watched a little bit about of that debate on the floor. What can you tell me about that? Um, well, this debate had to do with basically giving um, an incentive to this company that's going to come to the northern panhandle, um, a battery plant, um, correct? And um, I think it's um, $105 million, $105 million. Yes, um, that um, would basically help, I think, prepare this land that the company would be moving in for energy. Um, and. I mean, really just incentivize them to come to West Virginia to set up shop. But there were some concerns um, that lawmakers brought up um, that this is a company that is in support of the elimination of fossil fuels. And obviously, fossil fuels um, have been a very big part of, as we've discussed, West Virginia's economy for a long time. And so there is some discomfort around that, um, for sure. Um, I'm giving, you know, breaks to um, these 
businesses that are backed, you know, by billionaires. I think this Form Energy is supported by Bill Gates. Um, his name was brought up a lot. Um, <laughs> a recent visitor to West Virginia a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, there there was some concern around that, and I know Curtis, you were saying there were also some regional kind of conflicts as well. Well, Leah, you're absolutely right that. Uh, that this company, um, you know, makes uh, long-duration storage batteries, and their purpose is to eventually replace uh, coal and natural gas plants. Um, it would be uh, battery storage coupled with renewables, wind and solar, um, and so uh, it, there, there is a tension here. I think that has to do with uh, the the uh, the traditional energy production in West Virginia. The the coal and, and natural gas especially, um, and renewables, which are uh, an increasing share of, uh, of energy around the, this country, but also worldwide. Um, so th there's that tension, but there is also uh, a regional tension because this, um, this new plant would be going to Weirton, which is the site of Weirton Steel, which closed down some years ago. And, uh, and, and this is a huge investment you know, for, for a, a struggling community, but there are a lot of struggling communities in West Virginia, and, and many of them uh, are in Southern West Virginia in the Southern coal fields, and I think that, that some of the debate that we heard this week reflected that. Go ahead. Yeah, I think kind of the feeling was, you know, um, developments like this are perceived by um, some lawmakers, you know, many who represent Southern West Virginia you know, were opposed to this, um, that if you're going to invest in something that is going to hurt an industry that is supporting our communities, you know, the fossil fuel industry, like give us something, like we want to see the benefit, we want to see investments. Um, and, uh, but, but I think, you know, that what was this predicted to bring 750 jobs to West Virginia? Uh, I th uh, something like that. That sounds yeah, right to me. Yeah, yeah. Like um, there's also the appeal of that, but they were also concerned, you know, because it's so close to the border, they're, we're going to be giving jobs to people out of state who are likely um, to, you know, want to um, work there. But then on the other hand, those people are going to be coming here buying gas, you know, buying food. Maybe they'll decide to move here um, later. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of questions of who is this benefiting yeah. um, and what are the long-term implications for our energy industry. I mean, we're halfway through the session so far and there's still a lot of things to be determined. Um, we're much past halfway in our time together here. Very briefly, before we move on from energy, uh, Curtis, I know that you've been watching this uh, Pleasant's plant uh, resolution that, that appeared in both chambers this week. Uh, I do want to hit another topic very quickly. Could you tell us what that's about? Uh, basically, the uh, the House and the Senate both want to encourage uh, Mon Power, which is a subsidiary of First Energy, to purchase the Pleasance Power Station, which is scheduled to shut down in uh, in May because the free market has basically decided it's no longer economic. But, you know, it does employ a lot of people. It does provide a tax base to the community, and lawmakers are you know, trying to support its continued operation. So just as an example of, of, of how much goes on in, in just a week of the session, um, I do want to take the last couple of minutes that we have here to talk about House Bill 2002, uh, which, Leah, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that uh, refers to birthing centers in an attempt to maybe help the women of West Virginia with uh, what has unfortunately become a very uh, stressful and risky uh, situation in life uh, in the United States. 
Yeah, so that bill, um, that was, I believe, actually a different number, but there were two bills that came up this week. 2002, um, I believe, was the one that would allow the state to um, funnel taxpayer money into um, these anti-abortion crisis pregnancy centers gotcha. um, that are often religiously affiliated. Um, they have been known to um, operate to dissuade women from or people from getting abortions um, and they're not necessarily um, medical facilities they don't necessarily have uh, medical professionals on staff um, and this bill would allow the state to set up a program that would enable them to get state funding we don't know how much that will come later um, when the budget is being uh, drafted by lawmakers. I believe Justice said in his State of the State speech there's a at million. least a hun um, one million dollars, yes. that's right. Yeah, so he said a million, so it could be a million, it could be less, it could be more. Um, but there have been some concerns that um, basically a lot of the lawmakers have said now that we have effectively banned abortion in West Virginia, we need to do something to provide support for um, people having children and those children um, that, you know, they may not have decided to do that before, um, but abortion is, is is not an option or it's, it's a difficult option. Yeah, um, I saw an estimate that about a thousand uh, new births will happen this year because mm, of the ban. Yeah, um, which I think is a pretty striking figure. Um, and so there are concerns that is this the best way to support um, you know, mothers and children to receive this money. Um, and it doesn't have to be a crisis pregnancy center, but it has to be a nonprofit organization that does not refer women for abortions, um, talk about it as an option for women. Um, and so there are concerns that people are gonna be discouraged from pursuing abortion out of state or just even it being acknowledged as an option for people. Um, but that bill would also increase the tax credit um, that people receive when they adopt children from $4,000 to $5,000 um, and allow um, those children who are adopted to receive state um, early intervention services that uh, regardless of income, because right now it's based on that. Um, but there's also a bill that would effectively uh, probably make it easier for birthing centers to open in the state that passed the house um, because it, it would remove it from the certificate of need process in West Virginia, um, which critics have said uh, can be prohibitive. So this would give more options to women for giving birth, which is a difficult you know, thing in a rural state like West Virginia. Uh, options are limited. So Yeah, absolutely. And I, I certainly appreciate you walking us through that so quickly. <laughs> um, that is, however, all the time that we have today. I really appreciate you both being on the show. Uh, Bob, back to you. Thanks for that, Chris. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.